Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. My guest today is Pastor Joel Brooks. He is the pastor of Redeemer Community Church here in Birmingham, a church that he actually served as the founding pastor some four years ago. Joel, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Let's begin by asking you to say a little bit about your own spiritual journey, how you came to know Christ, and how you were called to serve the Lord in the life of his church. Probably uh, one of the boring but what I think great testimonies, and that was I grew up in a very godly home. Uh, Mom, the church organist, dad, the deacon, family devotions every night. And it was at one of our family devotions at the age of nine that I came to know the Lord with um, both my parents kneeling on either side of me. And so I I grew up with a great godly heritage. As far back as I can remember, I pretty much grew up in the doors of a church. And interestingly enough, at the age of nine, people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I was like, well, I I'm going to be a pastor. And I'd, I've never had a doubt about that. It's strange. You know, other people wanted, you know, the exciting astronaut, fireman, things like that. Yeah. But I knew at an early age that's where God was directing me. Isn't that wonderful? So you've had a trajectory in your life from this early time as a young boy coming to know the Lord through the witness of your parents and feeling called to serve God somehow in the life of his church. That's wonderful. Now, uh, growing up in Atlanta, you went to the University of Georgia. Am I right about that? Absolutely. <laughs> Bulldogs? Now, what are they? They're, they're the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah. I don't follow them closely, um, which is probably a good thing being here in Alabama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, from the University of Georgia, um, you came to Beeson Divinity School. So say a little bit about your three years here in our Master of Divinity program. Um, I started in 96, um, instantly fell in love with the place. Um, loved the professors. Um, a number of professors had a um, profound impact on my life. Um, you know, Dr. Thielman, uh, Dr. Bruce Winter, and I became mm. good friends, and mm. we still keep in touch. Um, Robert Smith was instrumental to me. Um, I try to s- still keep up with all those connections. By the way, you mentioned Bruce Winter. He'll be coming back next year to give our biblical studies lectures in January, February period, so you'll get to see him again. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, he and his wife, Lynn, are just they're dear friends. Yeah. Um, and we originally, I came here um, hoping to be prepared to go onto the mission field. Um, my wife and I, we felt called uh, to do college ministry at Trinity College in Dublin and um, was preparing for that end and went through all the, uh, the steps. We got accepted with Greater Europe Mission. Mm-hmm. Um, we raised all of our support to do that. And so after graduating from Beeson, we're convinced that's where we were going. And in one of my final trips there to find housing, um, really the Lord shut the door in a very surprising way. Um, they they were changing somewhat of their their philosophy of ministry and were not allowing non-nationals to teach. And so I'd be put in a more administrative role, um, which, you know, it's, that was fine that they were doing that. That's where they felt the Lord leading them. But it wasn't where I felt the Lord was leading me. And so it threw my wife and I a big curveball. Your wife is Lauren. Say a little bit about her because she's a part of your journy too. Absolutely. She's my better half, my mm-hmm. completer. Um, 
high school sweethearts. Um, we've been dating since we were 15. Wow. She definitely, she's my better half. I'm, I'm very introverted, and she's the more extroverted. Um, we complement each other well. I would not have been able to go through school. Um, she's the one who helped pay my way through Beeson. Um, I would not have been able to start University Christian Fellowship or start Redeemer without her. And sure. God has blessed your marriage with several children. Three. Three, three precious children. girls. Yeah. Um, I've got a nine, a six, and a three-year-old girl. They, uh, they all keep me busy. Wonderful. Now, we've gotten you through a Beeson Divinity School, and you just mentioned University Christian Fellowship. Yes. Now, a lot of our listeners will not know anything about that ministry, perhaps. Maybe tell us just a little bit about it and your role in it. Well, like I said, I thought I was, I was going overseas to do a college ministry, and, and that door shut, and just really praying about what I should do. As Lauren and I were praying through that, she said, well, where do you think we're going to go? I said, I don't know. I just know we'll not be in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. You know, just, I know we will not be here. Um, but then the idea just kept growing in the back of my mind. And I actually had a former pastor, one of my former pastors I hadn't talked with in years, call me up out of the blue as I was wrestling through this and said, hey, I know you're on your way to Ireland. He said, but I really feel, he said, you could call this a, a, a prophetic dream. You could call mm. this whatever you want to call this. But I feel strongly you're supposed to stay in Birmingham, Alabama and plant a college ministry. That tilted the scales. To, to where I thought, okay, Lord, maybe you are doing this. But I still started the college ministry begrudgingly. Um, I, I told the Lord I would do the old college try. <laughs> so I started a Bible study. I called it University Christian Fellowship. Didn't advertise it. Didn't I just, I just wanted a few college students in an open Bible, mm-hmm. and we just worked mm-hmm. through that. Mm-hmm. And so we started with six students. And the growth of that caught me completely off guard. I, I was unprepared for how quickly it grew um, to within probably four or five years, we were averaging about a 1,000 students a week. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And for those listeners who are not in Birmingham, I should just tell you this continues to be a vital, uh, dynamic uh, ministry for Christ among students of various campuses yes. in our city. And we've had several Beeson graduates involved in its leadership. Yes, and uh, Andy Byers and now Joel Busby. Yeah, two, all, all, three Beeson uh, alums with the University of Christian Fellowship. That's wonderful. Yes. So you were there, and God obviously blessed that ministry in a tremendous way. Um, but somehow you were led again in a somewhat different direction to begin a new congregation. And that's really what I want to focus on for a few minutes, yes. your role as the founding pastor of Redeemer Community Church. Well, my wife and I, we've always lived in the Crestwood Woodlawn area. We live right at the edge there, the, the border between the two. Um, it's a largely unchurched area. And one of the reasons we bought the home we bought is I actually went and I met all the neighbors first, and we didn't meet a single Christian, not mm. one who went to church. Mm. And so we bought that area or that home, and we had been pouring ourselves into that community already for years. Um, I, before I ever started the church, I had the chance to um, present the gospel to every one of our neighbors on our street on different occasions. And so my heart was already, Lauren and I both, were, was in that neighborhood. And we had started to venture out with some more um, organized outreaches. Mm. Um, we started something called Advent Gatherings. Mm. And so during the Christmas time, we sent out invitations to almost all of Crestwood. Uh, we had coffee, a special Crestwood coffee blend made up. And the <laughs> invitation was put on that, and we, we handed it out and said, you know, come to our house Sunday evenings. We'll provide babysitting. Um, we'll have a time of, uh, of, of wine, wassail, hors d'oeuvres, and a 
Christmas devotion. And we were very upfront with what it was. Mm -hmm. And we were surprised. We had a large amount of people come, mm. all unchurched. These are folks you had met in the community mostly. Met in the community. Yeah. Um, Crestwood is a has a large homosexual population, very anti-church population. And we found that both of those groups came. And they loved it. We were very upfront. We sang some carols. They love Christmas carols, yeah. but they're never going to go to a church. Yeah. And um, they were really open with the devotions. And we found that as we did that, the next week, all of a sudden, they would bring food. Oh, and they started participating. Yeah. And it just deepened our roots in the community, helped us to know more and more people there. Over time, I, I just felt I need to start something permanent mm. over here. And my heart was kind of drifting, not drifting away, but moving away from UCF. Um, I enjoy a smaller ministry. And at UCF, I was in many ways becoming a speaker. And I would look out and I would not know the faces. And yet I knew my neighbors. And so it was it was a process. I uh, I turned in my resignation to Mountain Brook Community Church, whom I had given over the ministry of UCF. And they're a fantastic church. They asked that I not leave, mm -hmm. which surprised me a little <laughs> bit. Um, and so I, I respected their decision. I stayed another year. And then I, after a lot of prayer, I said, it's time for me to go and start this. Now, we've done several podcasts with other friends and leaders about church planting. Yes. And we've talked about the principles and the do's and the don'ts and the trends and that sort of thing. I'd like to, with you, just use your church as a case study of how one, led by the Holy Spirit, we yes. believe, plants a church. What are the struggles you face? What are the decisions you face? I mean, I can just think, you know, uh, what kind of church is it going to be? Uh, you call yourself a community church. Yes. I, I take it you're not a member of any denomination. Yes. How did you make that decision? What do you believe? Is theology important to you? How do you preach? You seem to have this very incarnational kind of ministry rooted in the community, relational, which is wonderful. But how do you decide uh, what, what you're going to do in worship? Talk about some of those questions. Great questions. <laughs> We've made every mistake you can make in church planting. Um, let me be upfront about that. We're somewhat of a different plant. And when we started, we did not have a parent church. And so it was my wife and I on our own. And it was a huge contrast going from such a large established ministry to my office became my laundry room and operating out of there. And we wanted to start the church in a very strategic way in which we didn't advertise. I didn't want to do that. I did not. We're not in the phone book. We still are not. Why? We wanted to. We did not want to steal sheep, and so we wanted the church plant to truly reach the unchurched. And typically an unchurched person doesn't come because they saw a sign or a billboard. Mm. They come if you go personally and you talk to them and you invite them. And so as we grew numerically, we wanted to grow relationally. And so even now when I look and I see a visitor at our church, I know they are sitting next to the person who invited them. We have those very deep relational roots growing out. And we are largely made up still of people who were not involved in any church, but now have come to be involved for the first time. But also, I, I did not know in starting this, you know, the questions that you asked, what denomination would we be? I call ourselves Baptarians. <laughs> um, we're we're a, a mix between the two. It's actually been one of the hardest parts about starting a community church and not being part of a denomination, but we didn't quite fit all in Baptist theology, all in Presbyterian theology. It, it would have been nice to have those mother churches. So to iron out our theology, we've got about a 40-page doctrinal statement oh, okay. that I handpicked four men, and we walk through what we call our elder affirmation. 
one year. We walk mm-hmm. through it together, mm-hmm. line by line. I've got a lawyer who's an elder, and let me tell you, it was word by word, <laughs> dissecting these things. Um, and we did that before we ever even offered membership. So you are, I, I take it, what I would call a congregational church in that there's not a judicatory authority. You don't have a bishop. You don't have a, you're not a part of a presbytery. It's the congregation led by elders, and, yes. and you as a pastor, are you an elder? Yes. And you make decisions about the life of the church, the belief, the doctrine through a congregational process. Uh, the, the elders will set, set the direction of the church. Every elder has the ability to teach. Every elder agrees, of course, with that elder affirmation that we've come up with. And so it's, it is a, it's an elder-led church. God was very good to, at an early point, give us some godly men mm. who've grown up in that. Um, there, there was a lot of difficulties in starting besides just setting the theology and things like that. Um, my wife and I were unprepared from when we started the church, the, um, I, I would call them spiritual attacks. We had our third child that was born with complications right when we started the church. Um, I had some surgeries. We went without an income for about nine months. And then a, a storm came to Birmingham and destroyed our house. Oh, wow. Which is where we were meeting. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those freak storms that only hit two homes in all of Birmingham, ours being one of them. Wow. And so we had to move out of our house. Um, so I had no office now. You must have felt like Job <laughs> when the storm came. <laughs> so, somewhat, um, but never doubting at all. You know, it, people asked us, so do you think God's trying to shut down the church? And I thought, well, God doesn't do near misses. Mm. <laughs> uh, and this, God wasn't thinking, oh, I'll almost stop this. What he was doing was driving me to prayer. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I, mean, I remember the, the storm actually destroyed my, my vehicle. It destroyed our home, my office. And I thought, what, what can I do? I don't even have a way of contacting people to tell where we're going to meet or mm. things like that. Mm. And God just said, well, you pray. Mm. You can still study and you can pray and did those things. And then something neat and unexpected happened. When we had started the church, we had wanted to be um, an instrument of grace into the community. And then God at the very start said, I'm going to make you need it. And we became a very needy family. The first people who gave money to the church were our non-Christian friends. Wow. Who rallied around us. Mm. It was our non-Christians who, who came and just really were a support group, um, along with the, the small fellowship of believers that we had already started to form there. But I found it was much harder to receive grace than to give it. And I feel like the Lord opened my eyes to that and seeing how we can now reach to the community and realizing that people are um, they're resistant to help. They, mm-hmm. don't, they don't want help. Most people are self-sufficient. And, and I didn't realize I had so much of that in me until the Lord brought that. It's a wonderful testimony. Now, this was um, four years ago when the church began. In the period since then, what are some of the struggles, the challenges? What, how do you see God working in this particular congregation of people? There's a lot of struggles and challenges. We currently meet at Cornerstone School in Woodlawn. Woodlawn is a um, one of the worst neighborhoods, I guess you could say, in Birmingham, at least when you look at the crime, when you look at the poverty. Um, it's an area in desperate need of help. Trying to reach that community um, in a way that I see as biblical without uh, offending the community has been hard. You can go in with a whole lot of money and just kind of spread it around but when you do that, you've already established this is what the relationship is. Very paternalistic in yes. that sense. We didn't want to do that, and God actually spared us of that in that we didn't have much money. <laughs> so we started building just as many relationships as we could. And we started serving in the schools there. We've 
Um, Birmingham's only family homeless shelter is there where families can go together. That mm. is only three blocks from my house. Mm-hmm. We started serving there. Actually, that's a great story to kind of see how we've been able to reach in that community. It is a interfaith hospitality house. You are not allowed to mention the name Jesus. You're not allowed to pray. Mm-hmm. Not allowed to invite people to church. And we knew that going in, but we thought this is the closest place for us we need to serve. And they were very resistant to us because I think a lot of groups come and then just leave. And we just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And now they have us, you know, say a prayer, invite everybody to church, come in, lead Bible studies. Um, they're, they're waiting outside for us to, to pull up in cars in order to take them to church. And so God has really opened up that door there and all those relationships. And it took just continued time and pouring in um, there. And we've seen that happen in many, many of the places. Cornerstone Schools they invited us to move there. Tell a little bit about Cornerstone Schools, because that's, again, become a, a major ministry, really, in our community. It's an anomaly when you look at uh, the poverty of the children there and the amount of quality education they receive and their test scores, too. They, mm. they, they rank in the 80 percentile in wow. math and in English, but their poverty level is one of the worst. And it is run by a very godly woman, uh, Nita Carr. And just, you can really feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in that place. A number of the teachers are members of our church. The work they're doing is phenomenal. And our relationship began with them. Um, I started teaching at their chapel services along with another staff member. Out of that, it just kind of built this relationship. And so eventually they said, would you, would you move here? We would love to have you here. Joel, you are a part of a group. Your church is a member of what is called the Gospel Coalition. Say a little bit about that, and what is your relationship to the Gospel Coalition? I love going to the Gospel Coalition conferences, um, especially since we're not part of a denomination. That's mm-hmm. uh, it's a great place to go, meet like-minded pastors and a lot of other church planters. Fellowship, be encouraged. Yeah. Colin Hansen, who runs their website and their blog, is a, a good friend of mine, and he's been a great encouragement over the years. And so I, I, I believe in what they're doing. I, I love how they're defining evangelical and what it means to be that and mm-hmm. how they really focus in on the gospel. So it's been a great support group for me and something I'm looking forward to going to every other year is when they have their conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been able to write some for them, hope to do that in the future as well. And uh, Colin Hansen is also uh, a writer, and uh, I'm hoping to do a podcast with him not long from now. He's a wonderful young uh, Christian leader, and I'm glad you know him and have that connection to the Gospel Coalition. Well, we're almost out of time, but uh, you know, a lot of our students here at Beeson and in other seminaries across the country are interested in church planting. The denomination I'm a part of, the Southern Baptist Convention, has a very strong denomination-wide emphasis now on church planting. You're speaking to people who may feel God leading them this way, Talk to them, say some words of counsel, advice, warning, (laughs) whatever you want to say, uh, particularly to those who may be uh, led to begin a new congregation, a new church. Um, Actually, that's the next article I'm working for in the Gospel Coalition is on some mistakes of the church planner, because I've made them, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I can speak about those. Um, I think one thing you have to be certain when starting a church is you're not doing it out of frustration or, or anger. And I think that there's a there's a number of church plants where they're just frustrated with maybe the existing church they're in, and we're like, we're just going to leave and start our own thing. Mm. 
and you don't realize you're bringing all that baggage with you. Yeah. And you don't start a church because of that. You start a church out of calling and a sense of need in that community, and you do that. And then I would say just being very intentional. There's a huge difference between starting a service and starting a church. Mm. And one of the the most common mistakes I see people making is we just have to start a service. Mm. We just have to try to get 200 people together for this launch date, and you've you've got a crowd there, but you don't have this this church. Mm. But to take your time, build a solid foundation, and that takes that a long time. Mm. We're still doing that. And the, the other thing I would say is be mission minded at the start. If you it, you could put missions um, as part of your church's DNA if you do it early, but you can't bring it in later and it really be a part of who they are. Um, for instance, we, um, we at the very start, very first service, um, you know, we said all of our offering is going to go out to missions this, you know, today. And um, our very, one of our first staff people we hired was, he's pretty much a local missionary. All of his efforts are outward, not inward. Mm. We would make sacrifices. We, as a staff, we went without an office for a year, just bouncing around to different coffee houses and things, simply because we wanted to use that money to go to missions, the missionaries mm. we support. Mm. We wanted to model that for our congregation. Mm-hmm. We did not even have a um, one of those projectors that we could put do lyrics up on the screen. Mm-hmm. Instead, we used a $5 overhead projector because we, we wanted people to know that the church staff and and everybody, we're making sacrifices for missions. Mm. And so we're not going to ask them to do anything different than we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think if you start a church and your goal is, you know, we have to immediately get a nice building, immediately get the latest technology, immediately get the best sound system, then what your congregation hears is I can first get my dream home, I can first get my huge TV. I can first get all my comfortable furniture, and then I can start giving out of after that. Mm. But those are the things first. And we just wanted to model no at the very first is sacrificial giving, even in the start of a church. That's hard. Mm. It's hard um, to do that um, because you really want a lot of those, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those yeah, other yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we wanted a building with air conditioning. Yeah. We didn't have it for our first yeah. three years. So it seems to me, if I could summarize what I hear you saying about your approach, is that you're bringing together ecclesiology with discipleship. You really want to take seriously Jesus when he said, if you want to come after me, then deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And you're trying to do that not only as an individual Christian who loves Jesus and is a disciple of Christ, but also as as a congregation of God's people. Yes, absolutely. And God has obviously blessed your life and work and ministry, and we're so proud of you here at Beeson. God bless you and Laura as you continue to serve him uh, at Redeemer Community Church. Thank you so much. My guest today has been Pastor Joel Brooks. He's a graduate of Beeson Divinity School and for four years has been the pastor of Redeemer Community Church here in Birmingham. I want to tell you about a wonderful event that's planned for this summer. It's the 25th annual Beeson Pastor School. The dates are July 23 through 26, 2012, right here on our campus. A wonderful array of workshops, seminars, worship services, great Bible teaching by Dr. Steve Brown. My colleague, Dr. Robert Smith Jr., will be preaching along with our friend, Bishop Will Williman. It's going to be a wonderful time. Hope you'll come and join us. 
In Matthew 6:31, Jesus said to his disciples, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. And we hope that you'll do that this summer at the Beeson Pastor School. For more information and to register for the Pastor School, just go to our website, BeesonDivinity.com. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.